I want to say thank you uh, to all of you uh, for your prayers, texts, encouragement. Um, I, I didn't need to hear from you guys this week, but I know you guys were praying. Um, I know a lot of you guys kind of were wanting to respect space, but uh, as you guys know, my mother uh, has passed away. She passed away on Monday for six and a half years after her second major stroke. And so uh, we gave her the very best care. For four years, we gave her 24-7 private care at her home. Uh, very expensive to do that in America today. And we had her in a group home the past two years. Uh, my prayer, as you guys know, uh, in the, for many years was that, Lord, would you heal her? She was a follower of Jesus Christ, so we have no doubt. She's rejoicing with my father and sister in heaven. To this, in this day, she has a new body. Um, but my prayer really for the past two years had been um, not for healing, because that was, would have been on par with uh, the resurrection of Christ for her to rise again from her state, but really that the Lord would just be merciful. Just be merciful, Lord. And towards the end, uh, that he would actually take her. Um, it's no way to live. She wouldn't have wanted that. My dad wouldn't have wanted that. And so he did in his own perfect timing. From a movie, it says, You gotta love your mama. She was a devout follower of the Lord, introduced our family to the Christian faith, um, and so you know, she's happy right now. And if she's happy, I'm happy. Uh, so let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. We're gonna go into um, our second week in our series, Life, and this is our passage in first. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we cleanse us from all sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. We are not to walk in the darkness. Can I have a seat? Thank you. Uh, we have started a series called Life, as I mentioned, and... Uh, the primary question that we are asking living in us, how do you believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life? Uh, God, in the darkness of our idolatry, we come to God in the darkness of um, being unloving. We come to God in the darkness of our foolishness. We come to God in the darkness of our death inside of us and our ultimate destiny. And coming to the eternal life of God, he meets us in that idolatry, in that hatred, in that foolishness, in that death. And Jesus brings life to us. And... It's unfortunate because most of the people that you and I know will miss out on the eternal life of Jesus. Most of the people that you pass on the street, maybe perhaps your, some of your relatives, maybe your friends, most of the people that you know will miss out on the eternal life of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke repeatedly about the type of people who will miss out on the eternal life of God in Matthew chapter 7. He said there will be some people who will miss out on the eternal life of God because they will look at their spirituality as if it is N-O-N-E-S. These are people who look at their spirituality as I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm just not religious. One out of every three people 
would categorize their spirituality in the way. That's the broad road and the easy way that leads to destruction. There's people inside the church who maybe you might be here today and you're one of them. And the reason why you're here seeking the eternal life of God is because you say, I'm here so that God can make me healthy, he can make me healthy, and he can make me prosperous. And that's the only reason why I'm here. That's the easy way and the wide gate that leads to destruction that will will help us to miss out on the eternal life of God. We live in a Tinder, suicide squad, burning man, fashion forward, androgynous culture. And this is a culture of bad fruit. It's not a culture of Jesus Christ. Again, from Matthew 7, he says that there will be people who will build their life not on the solid foundation of Jesus' words, but on their own words, on their own works. I was just inviting someone to church uh, this past week. And uh, this particular person I've known for 25 years. They don't go to church anymore. Um, And uh, they just said, you know, I'd love to you know, hear you, but Sundays are so packed. I got, and finally in Matthew 7, Jesus said, vertical change. And Jesus will say to them, what? Away from me, I never knew you. You didn't have the eternal life of me living inside of you and through you. You tried to do things for me, but you didn't know me. And so in this series, Life, as we go through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, what we're doing here as we answer the question, how do we know that we have the eternal life of Jesus Christ in us? We are looking for tests. We are looking for principles. We are looking for assurances that God's life does indeed. The message, he says, this is the message we, plural, we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Let's stop there. He says, this is the message that we have heard and proclaim to you. Uh, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon him. We have, uh, have fellowship with him. John knew Jesus intimately. John heard a message from Jesus. And that message was proclaimed by John and the other disciples. Uh, the disciples proclaimed this message by making disciples. They proclaim this message by writing these epistles, 1 John, from the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. The disciples proclaim this message ultimately not just through making disciples, writing the epistles, and evangelizing, teaching, and pastoring, but they also proclaimed it by being willing to be persecuted, being willing to die for this message. And what was this message that... Uh, John and and the other apostles were proclaiming. In verse 5, he says again, that we proclaim to you, at the end of verse 5, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 5. The Jews held up the metaphor of light. There was no metaphor that, that really captured the experience of the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites, than the metaphor of light. When you look at the Greek culture, the Greek culture held up the metaphor of and the pursuit of knowledge. Uh, that's why the Greeks had the great philosophers, and they held them up as the great hero. But in the Jewish culture, light was the primary metaphor. You see the metaphor of light being used to be described the creation of 
the universe, the world. In Genesis 1, verse 3, God said, let there be light. And so you see this light as a metaphor in the creation. You see light as a metaphor in the law. David wrote in Psalm 19, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Light is a metaphor in the wisdom literature. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. He said, the path of the righteous is like light, uh, the light of the dawn. The metaphor of light is seen in the prophets. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And of course, our equals life in Jesus Christ. Darkness equals death for those who do not follow Jesus Christ. That is John's message. And so in verse 6, he says this, if we say we have fellowship with him, that's Jesus, if we say we have fellowship with Jesus while we walk in darkness, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, verse 8 and verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us, what is John saying to us at this point? He is saying that if you say that you have fellowship with God, but you also say knowledge sinfulness in their life. Again, in verse 6, 8, and 9, he says, if that is, he's very direct. Um, we live in a culture today that says that uh, people have fellowship with God. That says, all I have to do is meditate and I can find God within me. I know God. God is everywhere. God is in nature. God is on, in all religions. God is in me. This is the culture in which we live in. This is the message that you and I are bombarded with constantly. We also live in a culture that says people are not sinners. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Of course that happens. But my point is we live in a time when everyone's blaming everyone else and no, people are not taking responsibility for their own sin. We live in a culture of non-judgmentalism, non-judgmental tolerance where... You know, I can't judge you. I don't want you. I just talked to someone this past week. And um, they said, you know what? Uh, and they've been going to a Bible study for years. They said to me, you know what? Um, and they're not part of our church. They said, uh, you know, the Bible never says we are to judge. They said, we as Christians are not to make judgments of others. And I realized they were just being influenced by a culture that says don't. Be that one of the greatest sins you can have today, right, is to be judgmental. And I said to this person, whoa, whoa, you know, I, I have to, I have to um, correct that because uh, the Bible says don't be judgmental, but we are to make judgments. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, take the plank out of your own eye so that you can then make what? A judgment of your brother's speck in their own eye. You have to make a judgment there. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 8, or uh, John chapter 8, uh, stop making judgments by appearances, but make a right judgment. We are to make judgments of ourselves, culture, others, anything that's uh, outside of the Lord's will. We live in a culture that does not want to because, follow this, 
I've had people come to me over year after year after year struggling with the same unrepentant sin. And it's not like they're struggling against it. They are pretty much unrepentant. And they come to me and they say, Pastor, at least I'm being authentic. At least I'm being authentic about where I'm at. About uh, when John says John was most likely writing against uh, the emergent of a her- uh, the emerging heresy of Gnosticism, belief that there is a higher knowledge of God than the Christian faith. So Gnostics would say, "Yes, you have your Bible, Christians. You have, you know, your testimony of Jesus Christ. But there's this higher knowledge of God that you can find through meditation." And the Gnostics taught that. Anything that happens in the body, anything that happens in the material world doesn't matter to God. So in Gnosticism, the teaching was, you know, in your body, whatever you do with your body, whatever impurity that you is in part speaking to refute the Gnostic teaching that said sin doesn't matter in your physical body when you're doing it in your physical body. He's using that to refute that. For us to, you know... Uh, evil doesn't matter. Evil doesn't exist in some form or another today. That would be the application. But that those who ha- say they have no sin are saying, I don't need atonement for that evil. I don't need someone to forgive me for that evil. It either doesn't exist or it doesn't matter enough for God to send a savior. Now, John would have seen these expressions of people who say they know God, but don't acknowledge the need for God to atone for their sin. John would have seen these false teachers and obey our man-made laws. John would have seen this in the Judaizers who uh, were spreading false teachings in places like Galatia, who said, you can be a Christian, but you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the dietary laws in order to be a Christian. We know God, but you can, you know, in order to help you with your sin for us today. What does it look like? I, I was talking with, um, you know, I know of someone. And uh, they, at one point, they were taking a film class. They were taking a film class. That uh, was taught by uh, a teacher who was professing the Christian faith. And uh, this particular person got into this class, and um, they saw the syllabus, and it was full of rated R movies. And horror, sexual scenes, and a lot of uh, things that shouldn't be exposing your eyes to. A lot of, you know, Jesus said, don't allow darkness into your eyes. You know, pollutes the human soul. The eye is the lamp of the body. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. And so this person, you know, it's a, a class on kind of, uh, the Christian faith and pop culture and the two of them interact, but I'm looking at these movies. I, I don't want to expose myself to it. Uh, I might stumble, but I just don't think it's appropriate. They, they told the professor that. The professor said, I, I'd like to talk to you privately after class. And this is what the professor said in summary to heard the professor say that, disavowing any responsibility for their own sin, but saying that they knew God. They left the class and they just, uh, uh, shivers went through their spine. What would you have done? 
Do you think that was appropriate answer? I'm not responsible for their sin, though I know that I'm doing something that could make them stumble. I know God, but I have no sin. Um, there was a, a couple that were part of our church in Long Beach many years ago. They came into our church, and uh, they were part of our church for several months, maybe about half a year. And the, the man, the husband, had a, uh, a T-shirt company. This is not Gilbert, right? Gilbert's not married, so it's someone else. Um, and this, this couple came in, and he had a, a T-shirt company. I go, so, you know, what kind of T-shirts do you make? And he goes, well, what I do is I take horror movies. So this is a professing, professing um, believer, right? I take horror movies like The Exorcist and like Children of the Corn. And then I um, put those on T-shirts. I kind of put a spin on it to make it, uh, this is not wise. This is spreading darkness. What you're doing, and I said it nicely, but I said it directly. I said, because what you're doing is you're taking something that is dark, trying to put a funny spit on it, and there's two problems with that. One, you're offending God, and two, you're ridiculing the dark side. So you're going to get it from both sides here. And I said, what you should really do is not do this. And do something, but I felt it was my responsibility to say something. I know God, but I have no sin. You know, there's others of you, there was another... Uh, couple that were part of our church down in Long Beach. Uh, they came in, they were part of our church, and um, the man we found out was a bounty hunter. I saw him one day on YouTube, and he's on one of these bounty hunter television shows, right? I'm like, is that so-and-so? Um, and his wife was there, and, uh, you know, his wife ended up leaving him, going, with, going out and marrying another man, and uh, found out that was her third marriage. That was the third time she'd done that. She now got divorced, and... Um, said she knew God, and yet I have no sin that I'm willing to repent of. There's others of you that are here that have had encounters with people, uh, whether that's your friends, your relatives. I have relatives. I have friends. Multiple people over multiple years in my own life that have professed to know Jesus Christ, but at the same time acted to deny him in the most egregious ways. I'm a follower of Christ. I will go marry someone who is a professor, who doesn't want anything to do with the Christian faith, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I, I tell them, don't do this. I warn them, this is not the will of God. I know other people that say, I profess to follow Jesus Christ, and they bring the most wicked, evil actions um, about that affects many other people and uh, have, have uh, destroyed the church, actually. Throughout your life, you're going to meet fake Christians, and you're going to meet false teachers. What that person did that left their class in college, what I did with multiple examples here. If you find yourself in those situations, you should do the following. You should lovingly warn. You should lovingly correct. And if the person is not willing to acknowledge in any way God and reject you, you should leave. You should leave. And lift that up. Just hand that over to the Lord. It does you no good 
it doesn't do the any per, the other person any this is what i learned you guys if you don't take a stand now i'm not talking about someone who makes a mistake and oh you know i'm sorry that wasn't me i'm not talking that's not what we're talking about we're talking about egregious major violations of the faith if you and i as the church do not take a stand in those situations you know what it does it does two things one it invalidates your own commitment to the faith because other people you may think oh, i'm doing the loving thing i'm doing the patient thing you know i don't want to drive them away from faith but the opposite actually happens and go you know you're not man enough you're not woman enough to stand up for what you believe why should i believe that if you're not even willing to stand up for what you say you believe king four in a mature christian there comes a point when you and i have to say as christians we will not be baby christians we will not be immature christians we will not be christians that are just fed on milk we will be christians that are grow up on meat we will be just christians that are discerning we will be christians that are courageous we will be christians that are obedient in love and there comes a point where you have to say something you have to make decisions and sometimes those decisions are hard ones they are costly they are sacrificial but i can promise you i can promise you that if you do and if you stand up for what is right and the lord the lord will honor that the lord can provide for you in any number of ways that we um are not even aware of let's look at but it's also positively about walking in the light it's about walking in the light let's look at verse 7 and verse 9 the apostle john says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin verse 9 something very similar if we confess that word confess comes from the greek word homo logeo homo meaning the same logeo means to speak the same that's what the word confess means if we speak the same thing about or we confess our sins as we speak the same thing about our sins that god says about our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what to cleanse us from all unrighteousness it's a beautiful we know that we're walking in the light if we have fellowship with one another that word fellowship as we talked about last week comes from the greek word koinonia it means to join together to commune together whenever you see this phrase one another almost every single time you see one another in the new testament it comes from a greek word called alalon alalon and it means it's it's a reference to one believer to another believer one another is not one believer to another unbeliever it's not one unbeliever to another unbeliever one another is one believer to another believer if we have union if we have fellowship if we have communion with other believers he's saying and that's what you want you know you're here you're here we're attending this worship service um and I, you know i know pretty much every one of you and i know that for you guys you're you've moved past the idea that fellowship as i have attended my hour and a half on a sunday i've done my duty see i know pretty much most all of you and you've moved beyond that 
unbiblical definition of fellowship. And you've begun, you finally realize that what the Apostle John is talking about, if we have fellowship, if we had union with him, if we have fellowship with one another, what that actually means is that you look at your life and one of the assurances that the eternal life of Jesus Christ lives in, within you is if you look at your life and you say, you know what? I find myself drawn to other believers. I want, by my own volition, to mourn with other believers who are mourning. To celebrate with other believers who are celebrating. I choose to encourage other believers. That brings me joy. That brings me life. When they encourage me, that brings me joy. That brings me life. I see the importance of correcting others. And I want to receive correction from other believers when I need it. I, I find myself wanting to worship with other believers. It is not simply attending a worship service. It is when you are in communion and fellowship and koinonia and relationship with them. That is a sign, an assurance, a test, a principle that the eternal life of Jesus does indeed live within you. And secondly... You can know that you're walking in the light not only if you have fellowship with other believers. It's not the fellowship that saves you, but it's a sign. But if you are confessing your sins, if you are confessing your sins, you're not like those who walk in darkness and say, I have no sin, but I know God. You're those who walk in the light and you say, I know God. And one of the ways that I know God is I find myself voluntarily confessing my sins to the Lord and confessing my sins to other believers. This is not a Roman Catholic thing where you go into a, uh, a confession booth and you've got this anonymous person saying it to a priest and they tell you to do some rosemary prayers or, um, or some penance or some Hail Marys. This is actual you giving a heartfelt confession to God. And trusting that God, through Christ, the blood of Christ, is the only one who both forgives and cleanses you. There is both a saving and sanctifying element to being forgiven and cleansed. At the cross, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you were once and for all forgiven. You were once and for all cleansed in salvation. Nothing can ever change about that. You have the assurance of salvation in your profession of faith. It's a saving element of forgiveness and cleansing through faith. But there is also a sanctifying element that we as Christians have an ongoing need to be forgiven, to grow in Christ. We have an ongoing need to be cleansed, to grow in Christ. Um, you ask for forgiveness in your family, do you not? You don't do it one time in your marriage. You're doing it many times. Many hundreds, many thousands of times over the course of your marriage. You don't just take one shower. You take showers. I don't know. What is that? I think some of you don't take showers for like three days. I think I've talked to you. I take one every day. Um, it's the same thing with confession. We need to continually confess our sins. It doesn't mean we've got to confess everything. Oh, we 
When you confess your sins and God forgives you your sins, when you confess your sins and are cleansed of that, the Holy Spirit is no longer quenched in your life. The Holy Spirit is no longer grieved in your life. Some of you might be here today and um, you think of confession as a sign of weakness. You think that um, when people come up for prayer, you know, it's because they don't have it together, maybe. And, you know, they're kind of weak. Or you might think, I don't want to confess. Nothing to anybody. Allow that to happen. I cannot allow that to happen. And what we forget is that confession of our sin is not a sign of weakness, but of strength. Confession of sin is actually a sign of maturity. It is not a sign of not knowing, confessing. I wouldn't care. And that should give you joy. That should give you hope. The act of asking forgiveness, the act of asking for confession to be Jesus lives inside of you. Because if he didn't, you wouldn't be doing it. And it's actually a sign of maturity. Because what you discover when you look at, at some of the great men throughout church history, what they realized, whether it was a John Owen or a John Wesley or a Charles Spurgeon, what they realized is that the more mature you get in the Christian faith, what? The more sin you are aware of in your own life. It's really counterintuitive, isn't it? We think that the more mature we get, the less we should be confessing. No, 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 no. The more mature you get, the more aware of how far away we are from Christ. And so it, it is a sign of maturity to express dependence and submission upon Christ and his work in your life. And so that is a sign of life. And so as we close together this morning, you guys, uh, be encouraged. Be encouraged. John does not mince words. You're in the darkness or you're in the light. And let's walk in the light. And if you are, uh, the eternal life of Jesus Christ uh, is going to bring about the life of God in you. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, you have spoken very convicting, clarifying words that um, I know I needed to hear, and I trust your people as well. Um, Lord, may we walk in the light. May we be a people of the light in a dark world. We represent the God of light. Lord, I pray that we would have the assurance of this life of Christ eternal life of Christ in us as we are drawn to the body of Christ but do not profess to need God's atonement for their sin and thank you Lord that uh, you've drawn us to yourself all through Jesus your son in your name we pray amen and amen